Thank you very much, Holly, for ministering in music. It's Christ in whom we have life. Christ is our victory, and as we interact with a portion of the book of Job, realize Christ came after Job chronologically, but yet what happens in Job is tied in with Christ because Christ is from eternity past. Going to look at Job for a few weeks. We're not going to try to go through the entire book, probably three or four weeks. But as we think about Job 1 this morning, think, reason, and consider are items we want to pursue this morning as we consider Job and some applications, whether it be applications to trials you go through in life, trials your family may go through, trials a church may go through. But to challenge us to think some questions, I'm not looking for response. We'll visit these later. Does the Lord explain himself before he asks us to trust him? Does the Lord explain himself before he asks us to trust him? The second question, does the Lord reveal himself? before he asks us to trust him? Does the Lord reveal himself before he asks us to trust him? Is faith necessary if we have all the answers? Is faith necessary if we have all the answers? Job probably took place the time of Abraham, or maybe even earlier. There is no reference in the book of Job to the Mosaic law or a covenant between Israel and the Lord, or any knowledge of the history of Israel. The certainty of where the location of Uz was, there's a man from the land of Uz, it's not clear, but there may be some question as far as where it's located. The book of Job We find in chapters 1 and 2, the prologue to the book, we find in chapter 3, Job's lament in light of what is happening in chapters 1 and 2. Then in chapters 4 through 27, we have three dialogues, or I guess we could say disputes, you know, that are taking place between Job and his three friends. In chapter 28, we have an interlude on wisdom, Then in chapters 29 through 42, we find a series of three monologues, Job, Elihu, and God. Then in chapter 40 and 42, we find the early parts of the chapter, Job's closing contrition. And then we find the epilogue in chapter 42, 7 through 17 as God works in the life of Job and responds to the friends of Job. But we will read together Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Job chapter 1, 1 through 5. In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright 
He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters and owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. The man we're dealing with in Job, the setting of Job, is that Job was a blameless, upright man. Blameless, a charge cannot be brought against him. You couldn't look at Job and say, ah, Job is guilty of this wrongdoing. He did not have that as a pattern of life. He was upright, correct in light of the Lord's standard. He feared God, had a reverence, had a respect and obedience for God. The text also says he shunned evil. And an illustration of shunning would be Joseph when he was in Egypt and when Mrs. Potiphar invited him to go to bed with her. What did he do? He fled. Job was a man who shunned evil. Job had seven sons and three daughters. The text would almost seem to assume that they were older. But he had seven sons, three daughters. He was very, very wealthy. Wealth in that day would have been measured not so much in terms of dollars and cents or how much you had in your 401k, but in the number of animals you would have. 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys. I'm not sure how many servants it would take to keep those animals, but it would have took a large number of servants. He had a concern for his children. He knew what they were doing, apparently. He would sacrifice for them, and that was his regular custom. So as we see the book of Job, we're dealing with a man who was blameless, upright, feared God, shunned evil, and wealthy. Let's read together verses 6 through 19. Verses 6 through 19. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright. <coughs> Excuse me, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. Stretch out your hand and strike everything he has. He will surely curse you 
to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, and the donkeys were grazing nearby. The Sabaeans attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of, the, of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down in your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. A lot happens in that context. We find in verses 6 through 19, Job, I guess we could say, is being tested. And it's interesting that the Lord initiates the testing of Job. The Lord said to Satan in verse 7, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant? Job. As you look at biblical history, it seems like the Lord often initiates testing. Abraham, in Genesis chapter 22, was asked to offer his son Isaac. Israel, in Exodus 15, 26, the waters of Marah and Elam, they were tested. In Exodus 16, in verse 4, with the manna, the Lord was testing them to see if they would be obedient. In Exodus 20, 20, with the Ten Commandments, the Lord tested them to see if they would obey his word. In Deuteronomy 8, verses 2 and 16, we find that in the 40 years in the desert, the Lord tested them. In Deuteronomy 13, 3, there were false prophets allowed among Israel to test them. In Judges 2, 22, in chapter 3 and verse 1, All the nations were not destroyed because the Lord wanted to test Israel. In 2 Chronicles 32, 31, King Hezekiah, Babylon was used by the Lord to test King Hezekiah. We find in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, Jesus was led into the desert to be tempted by the devil. He was tested. Posing a question, not looking for an answer. Is it possible in our lives, as we go through trials, family, as an individual, what we're going through as a church at this time? God tests us to see if, whether or not we will obey Scripture and focus on Christ and Christ alone. 
It's interesting that the Lord knew Job. The Lord knew that he was blameless and upright. Have you considered my servant Job in verse 8? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, which was stated earlier. He fears God and he shuns evil. That's the Lord's testimony about Job to Satan. So a question, does the Lord know our character, our actions, our relationships within a family, individually, as a church? So what happens next is that Satan accuses. Satan basically saying Job is using God, not worshiping God. Notice in verse 9, does Job fear God for nothing? Lord, Job is obeying you. He fears you. He shuns evil. For some reason, there's something going on here. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You bless the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. God... You're protecting Job. Job doesn't worship you for who he is, but what he has and how you've worked in his life. Satan is accusing God. He did the same in Genesis chapter 3. As he tempted Adam and Eve, he accused God. Seeking to tempt Adam and Eve to doubt God's word. Satan was working in the life of Christ as he was tempted, seeking to accuse God and the Lord Christ to doubt God's word. And Satan will accuse God and accuse others as he seeks to lure us as a church, as individuals, as family. To doubt God, to doubt his word. How many times have we gone through difficulty and we say, this is terrible. And scriptures would say, God can use it for your good and your profit. And when you're weak, that's when you're strong. Individually, we're lured to doubt God. Satan accuses God before us. He does that as a church. Beware of using the Lord for answers or solving your situation before you will obey him. Obey him in the darkness. The Lord allows Satan to work, but remains sovereign. In verse 12, the Lord said to Satan, very well then. Everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. The Lord allows Satan free reign. But he remains sovereign. 
but you may not lay a hand on the man himself. I think that ties in with the physical well-being. If you consider Christ's temptation in Matthew chapter 4, we find that Christ was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted. The Lord remained sovereign. That would pose a question. These are to think about. Is the hand or the work of Satan involved in trials that you or I may go through at times? Is the hand or work of Satan involved in trials that you and your family may go through at times? Is the hand or work of Satan involved in trials that churches go through? Think about that. But yet, under the sovereignty of God, the Lord has allowed Satan to work in Job's life, but he remains sovereign. Satan does not have free reign. Think about how much power Satan is displaying in attacking Job. It says then in verse, the end of verse 12, then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And in verses 13 through 15, we find that people are used. The Sabaeans, apparently in some way, the text doesn't say, but Satan was involved in inspiring people to attack so that the oxen, the donkeys, are taken and the servants are killed. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. This servant is sharing this with Job, and before he gets done talking, another servant comes and said, there's a fire. He says, a fire from God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who has escaped. We know the enemy's hand is behind this, under God's sovereignty. The sheep are now gone, along with the servants who took care of the sheep. While that servant is still speaking, another one comes. In verse 17, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down in your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one left to tell you. The enemy in some way involved in the raiding parties of the Chaldeans. While he is still speaking, another person comes, verses 18 and 19, and shares about the children. Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at your oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house, it collapsed on them and they are dead. And I'm the only one to escape to tell you. 
the enemy, Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and Job loses his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his camels. He loses his servants. Apparently four of them left and his ten children. If you please, Job's stock market crashed totally. Went from 25,000 to zero. And on top of it, he lost seven sons and three daughters. Now, if you've ever been through grief, you lose a child or two. Job lost 10 at the same time. You may go through a financial reversal, but it's pretty rare to go through a financial reversal that you lose all your wealth. Satan is displaying a great deal of power. Also in the context, consider how many innocent people are influenced, hurt by the action that takes place in this passage as Satan is attacking Job. Job's ten children, Job's servants, we don't know how many, but a large number of them would have had a lot of them. They all die. What has the enemy done to me? We may ask sometimes. What has the enemy done to my family? What has the enemy done done to our local church or another local church? Job didn't have answers. We don't always have answers. But we find Job responds to what is happening. At this, Job get up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. A torn robe, a shaved head, an indication of mourning and sorrow, with good reason. Then he fell to the ground in worship. Falling to the ground was what would happen many times in worship. It clearly says he fell to the ground in worship. And what does he say? Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I depart. The Lord has, or the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And all this Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Naked. Job came with nothing, as all of us do. And from Job's perspective, he thought, naked I'll depart. He didn't have. He lost it all. It's interesting, the Lord gave. He acknowledges the Lord's giving. It wasn't his earning. It wasn't all that he had done. The Lord gave. Obviously, Job worked and took care of his flocks or had people take care of him and so on, but he recognized the Lord is giving. The Lord has taken away. 
May the name of the Lord be praised. Now, can you envision tomorrow the stock market goes to zero and you lose everything that you have in terms of investments? All. And if you have children and grandchildren, someone comes along and says, your children are all gone, they died, and your grandchildren have all died. And you fall and say, may the name of the Lord be praised. That's where Job was. In all of this, Job did not charge God with wrongdoing. a major trial in Job's life. He didn't charge God with wrongdoing. How tempted we are sometimes to charge God with wrongdoing, how he may respond. Beware of why questions which move us quickly to doubt God and his word and his promises. Beware of demanding answers, explanations, and knowing what's going on before we'll follow God. In all of this, Job did not charge God with wrongdoing. I want you to consider some things in light of chapter 1. Lord willing, we'll look at chapter 2 next week. But in light of chapter 1, the Lord is sovereign in trials and the pain of life. God is sovereign over what is happening in Job's life. Not saying he caused it, but he's sovereign over it. Rest in him, not answers or explanations. God, if you just give me an answer. And there's silence. And we find that there's silence in chapter 3 through chapter 38 of Job. That is silence from God. Job. We today need to know and worship the Lord, not what he does or gifts. Trials do not come as a surprise to the Lord. Job worshiped God after losing his wealth. And his children. He didn't charge God. Think about a trial that you may have been through, a family trial or church situation. Are we willing to rest in him? Testing seems to be vital, important in our world. As you look at scripture, testing seems to be vital and important. Without it, we seem to become complacent. 
Karen, what do you think would happen? Or Molly, what do you think would happen? Or Holly, what do you think would happen in school if you did not have any test? I can tell by your little grins that uh, kids probably wouldn't listen. They wouldn't study and so on. You know, we seem to need that in our world. Do we trust God in our hearts without testing? Human nature seems to need testing. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, as the people to whom Peter is writing, Peter says, these testings have come to show that your faith is genuine. How do you get gold pure? You heat it. God is turning the heat up or is allowing the heat to be turned up in Job's life by saying, Satan, do what you want. How many of you are willing to buy a car or a truck that has not been tested? So you go to a dealer and you say, I want to buy this truck. And the dealer says, I want you to understand before you buy it, it has never been tested. Never been any test done on it. It's just designed, but it's never been through any test whatsoever. The cars and the trucks that we buy have been going, have gone through a lot of testing. Are they safe? Will they hold up? And so on. We tend to become complacent without testing. We tend to trust in our own hearts and our own strength without testing. Sometimes we need to pause and see the value of testing. As we will find in several weeks, Job came to the end of his test, if you please. at a much different place than where he started. Recognize several things about Satan. He is powerful, but yet under God's control. Through Christ, he has defeated Ephesians 6, Colossians 2, and Hebrews 2. He's an accuser of the saints and of the Lord. Satan accuses God, hey, God, uh, Job only follows you because you blessed him. (coughs) You take the stuff away, he'll curse you. And he lures by doubt. Another thing to think about in light of Job 1. Enjoy relationships and possessions, but hold them lightly. Enjoy relationships and possessions, but hold them lightly. They may be gone sometime. Don't find your worth and value in them, whether it be your mate, your children, your job, your reputation. Find your identity in the Lord and in Christ. Yes, enjoy what God has given and blessed, 
but don't hold them too tightly. Worship, relate to, enjoy the Lord for who he is. Not what he, merely what he does or provides. Worship God for who he is. Not merely what he allows us to have or what he provides. Satan wants us to use God. He wanted Job to use God to obtain or to get out of a situation rather than enjoying God for who he is. Beware of demanding that God remove something rather than just being with us in the midst of it. Ask in light of the Lord's character. How many people over the years said God didn't respond in this way, so I'm not going to respond to him in a positive way any longer. So that's a use of God. That's not enjoying God for who he is and his character and his being. Satan wants us to use the Lord to obtain, to get out of situations. The Lord is communicating as we go through the book of Job that he alone is sufficient. And when you get to the end of the book of Job, Job became even more wealthy and he had more children. But he recognized it was the Lord. He wasn't using God. He wasn't using God at this point in time in Job 1. But we need to keep that in focus. Does the Lord explain himself before he asks us to trust him? The answer is no. He doesn't. The Lord never explained himself to Job in the book of Job. It's not recorded. But he asked him to trust him. Job didn't ask for an explanation at the end of chapter 1. And all this Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Does the Lord reveal himself before he asks us to trust him? Yes. God has revealed himself through creation. He apparently had a relationship with Job. We don't know what all Job knew about the Lord, but there was a relationship present. He had revealed himself. The Lord revealed himself to Adam and Eve. He revealed himself to Israel. He asked those people to follow. Faith is not blind. Faith is choosing to trust and respond to God. Because he's revealed himself. And we trust him. Job trusted him, not what he did or did not do. Is faith necessary if we have all the answers? I tend to think, why do I need faith if I have all the answers, if I can figure it out? I'm not saying there's no answers at all, but is it really necessary? 
Think about it. As we think about the trials of life, what we're going through at this point in time as a church, what you have been through or are going through as a family or as an individual, are we willing to say, God, I don't understand. I don't need an explanation. I don't need answers because I'm willing to trust you.